MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, July 7th, 2021. Today, Matt Gates associate Joel Greenberg has asked for a 90-day delay in his sentencing. Biden's infrastructure plan could help swing districts and the House stay blue. The White House says more than half of its staffers are women, and corporations that pledged not to donate to insurrectionists are going back on their word. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. Hello. Hello, hello, AG. Hello. Ah. I know. Everyone take a, everyone <laughs> listening, take a deep breath in through your nose. No, in through your mouth. How does that work? In through your nose, ah. out through your mouth. You got it. Ah, I can't even explain breathing correctly. (laughs) That's what kind of day it's been. I'm like, just, I don't know. Get some oxygen, would you? Are you ready for your show tomorrow night at Palm Springs? No. Yeah, no. I'm nervous. I'm totally nervous. I'm I'm not going to lie. I was so nervous, too. I don't like that there's a Delta variant running around. I don't like that people are testing positive after being vaccinated. None of it Mm -hmm. makes me happy. So I'm probably going to be the jackass in the bar with my mask on. And I feel okay about that. Yeah, no, feel totally okay about that. Uh, And I'm sure you won't be the only one. Palm Springs is pretty chill. Yeah, totally. So, but I'm excited. It's, it's a good 30 minute set. I think we're all doing 30. Um, So if you're in Palm Springs tomorrow night at Hunter's, it's a free show. Um, They're going to start seating at six. Show starts at seven and it's our first live back for all the comics. So I think hell's going to break loose and it's going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's going to be awesome. Everybody can go out and support. It's going to be wonderful. Always support live comedy. Laughter is indeed the best medicine. And uh, a little bit later in the show, I've got part two, day two of the Ellie Honig Hatchet Man book thing interview discussion. Uh, So check that out. And then, of course, July 18th will be the premiere episode of the series for the MSW Book Club on that very book. It's out yesterday, so you can buy it now. You can also get it on Audible and then you'll be all set and have it all read uh, by the time we drop that first episode. So it's going to be fun. And uh, it's very, very good book. Very well written. Uh, we have a lot of news, so let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. It's always we have a lot of news, not like we don't have really any news. Right. I have a lot of news, <laughs> so let's do that. <laughs> we don't have much news, but let's talk about a lot of news. Yeah. Anyway, lead story today comes from the Orlando Sentinel. This was a late-breaking story. We had to redo our script. Joel Greenberg, the ex-Seminole County tax collector, child trafficker, is seeking to delay his sentencing on federal charges by 90 days, according to court documents. In June, a judge set Greenberg's sentencing date for August 19th at 9.30 a.m. at the U.S. courthouse in Orlando. This came after Greenberg entered a guilty plea to six criminal charges, including child sex trafficking, on May 17th as a part of a plea agreement. In exchange for his cooperation and guilty pleas, prosecutors dropped 27 additional charges involving crimes that allegedly occurred in Greenberg's personal life and while he was working as that tax collector. Greenberg faces up to 12 years in prison. Now, court paperwork shows Greenberg's lawyer wants to delay that sentencing, citing the inability for his client to meet the terms of his plea agreement in time for the sentencing to take place. What does that mean? That means he has so much fucking information that, uh, you know, June, July, August wasn't enough. He's still talking. He's still singing. There's still a lot going on. The motion specifically looks at three issues in its bid to delay sentencing. First, it states Greenberg has been cooperating with federal investigators and adds he can't complete that cooperation ahead of the sentencing date. The motion points out that the content of the information Greenberg is providing to investigators could have an impact on his ultimate sentence and that a continuance would allow him to complete that cooperation. Second, the motion points to the restitution portion of his plea deal, which calls for him to pay nearly $655,000 to his victims. The motion states that the restitution is entitled to multiple parties in disputed amounts and that these issues cannot be resolved prior to the occurring sentencing date. So they're fighting some of these restitution charges, it sounds like, and they need more time to sort that out. Is that because Venmo doesn't take restitution charges that high or is how is he going to pay the restitution over Venmo? (laughs) Yeah, for ass (laughs) and the love hotel. That's what Uh, he's going to put in the memo of his restitution check. What a scumbag. 
Third, the motion states the prosecutors and the defense are in the process of resolving Greenberg's applicable and advisory sentencing guideline range, which has been complicated by the diversity and nature of his charges. That's their way of saying, we think you should get less time than you want. And so we need to still work that out. But the government does not oppose the request for a continuance. So that's what's going on in the Greenberg case. I tweeted out about Matt Gates today. Robert Denault was refreshing his Pacer account. We were all feeling like some indictments would come. We got a little story about Ingersoll, which I'm going to go over in depth on this Sunday's Mueller. She wrote, you know, he, he was drafted. I drafted him on my fantasy indictment team this week. So he's uh, in a little hot water about doing a cryptocurrency deal with some Russians. So, uh, yeah, a lot of cool stuff going on in Central Florida. Yes. And uh, I'm moving into Joe Biden's infrastructure package. Now, if this thing ever becomes law AG, it's not just going to construct new bridges, tunnels and highways. It could also help cement the Democrats' House majority for another two years. So listen to this. This dynamic is particularly pronounced in northeastern Pennsylvania, where Republicans see a pair of seats held by vulnerable Democratic incumbents as right for pickup and redistricting threatens to inject additional uncertainty into high stakes midterm elections. So Rep. Susan Wild, who's the 7th Congressional District that encompasses Lehigh Valley and its cities of Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton. And then there's Matt Cartwright, whose 8th dist- uh, Congressional District includes Scranton and Wilkes-Barre, each won re-election in 2020 by fewer than 15,000 votes. Ooh. So both are banking on the passage of Biden's revised bipartisan infrastructure plan, which would bring critical projects and jobs to their districts that the lawmakers as well as political strategists say will bolster their chances at keeping the seats and the House blue in 2022, which is, as we know, incredibly important. I do believe now we are, again, at one of the most important elections of our lifetime. Who would have thought every single one of them would be? Further complicating the two races is how redistricting might reshape the political landscape. So because the 2020 census identified a decline in its population, Pennsylvania's losing a House seat before the midterms in 2022. Now, in Pennsylvania, the new congressional district map will be proposed by a state legislative redistricting commission and then must be passed by both the state legislature's Republican-controlled chambers and signed by its Democratic governor. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. There is no explicit deadline for passing a new congressional map, but experts say it must occur before March 2022 candidate, the, the candidate's filing deadline in March of 22. It has to happen before then. So if lawmakers can't reach a compromise, the state Supreme Court is likely to get involved. Now, regardless of who formally opposes the two incumbents, Democrats maintain the races will come down to whether infrastructure projects were delivered. And they probably know exactly what they're talking about. So this is good. This is good news. As long as it becomes law, get rid of the fucking filibuster. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, that redistricting fight is going to be interesting with uh, an independent uh, map drawing group. And then you've got the Republican legislature and then you've got a Democratic governor. It's going to be interesting. Exactly. Uh, And now from David Klepper at the Associated Press in Rhode Island, as shockwaves spread across the country from January 6th at the U.S. Capitol, corporate America took a stand against the lies that powered the mob. Or so it seemed, he says. Dozens of big companies citing their commitment to democracy pledged to avoid donating money to the 147 lawmakers who objected to Congress's certification of Joe Biden's victory on the false grounds that voting fraud stole the election from then President Donald Trump. It was a striking gesture by some of the most familiar names in business. But as it turns out, it was an empty gesture. Toyota. Excuse me. There's something in my throat. My goodness. USAA. Six months later, many of those companies have resumed funneling cash to political action committees that benefit the election efforts of lawmakers, whether they objected to the election certification or not. Walmart, Pfizer, Intel, General Electric and AT&T are among the companies that announced their pledges on behalf of democracy in the days after the former guy supporter stormed the Capitol in a violent bid to disrupt the transfer of power. The companies contend, though, that donating directly to a candidate is not the same thing as giving to a PAC that supports them. Given America's poorest campaign finance laws, that's a distinction without a difference. In other words, they're fucking full of shit. Yeah. Walmart's moral stand lasted three months. In January, the retail giant said it would suspend all donations to the 147 lawmakers who objected to the election. But in April, the company gave $30,000 to the National Republican Congressional Committee. That's the party organization that supports House Republicans in elections. In January, after the attack, General Electric, GE, said it would halt donations to lawmakers who voted against certification because, quote, we believe it is important to ensure that our future contributions continue to reflect our company's values. And, <laughs> but that didn't happen. 
That's actually how the quote ends, everyone. I just want you to know that. I'm reading it directly off of my script. Mm -hmm. In April, GE gave $15,000 each to the House and Senate GOP election groups. Likewise, Pfizer, who's coursing through my veins as we speak, pledged to suspend contributions to the Republican objectors for six months. But after only three months, it gave $20,000 to the GOP Senate group. AT&T also pledged not to give money to lawmakers, but that company sent five grand in February, February, to the House Conservatives Fund. Some companies did follow through. Hallmark, the greeting card company, for instance, said it would not donate to objectors, and the record to date shows no PAC donations by that company this year, as well as no direct donations to the 147 objectors. Hallmark also asked two objectors, Josh Howley and Roger Marshall, to return contributions it made to them before the insurrection. (laughs) Hey, you know that money we gave you, Josh? We need that back. back. Give it back, you fucking Nazi. Campaign finance records do not yet show those refunds. I also wonder if McCarthy gave back his Russia money. Anyway, messages seeking comment from the two senators were not returned. Not surprising. Not surprising. Now, equality in the White House. Women make up approximately 60% of the staff at the White House and 56% of senior staff. The White House said Thursday ahead of releasing its annual report to Congress on personnel. The White House touted the diversity of its administration and said the staff makeup shows President Biden has kept his promise of building an administration that looks like America. Approximately 36% of White House senior staff and about 44% of Biden appointees at the White House are part of racially and or ethnically diverse communities. And that's from the White House. In addition to the White House staff, the president has the most diverse cabinet in U.S. history, which includes the first LGBTQ cabinet secretary confirmed by the Senate, the first Native American cabinet secretary, the first female treasury secretary, first African-American secretary of defense, first Latino secretary of health and human services, and the first Asian-American U.S. trade representative. Vice President Harris, love you is the first female, first black, and first South Asian vice president. The White House noted, for the first time ever, its staff includes a chief diversity and inclusion director, a position held by Michael Leach. His portfolio includes coordinating training and programming for all White House staff aimed at increasing awareness of best practices in diversity and inclusion. Could you imagine any of this happening in the last administration? Zero. Zero. No, even their interns were a bunch of chads, you know? Oh, yeah. I remember that photo of the interns, and I'm like, it's chad day at the White House. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, we'll be right back with part two of the Ellie Honig interview about his book, Hatchet Man, which dropped yesterday. Get your copy now for the forthcoming MSW Book Club series on Hatchet Man, which begins July 18th. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison, and today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional, convenient online counseling. Life is unpredictable, as we know. We've been listening to the news for the past four years. We have ups and downs, and sometimes it can be difficult, stressful, and sometimes just downright overwhelming. But the good thing is, is when speed bumps come up in your life, you don't have to face challenges alone. So if you're dealing with anything preventing you from living a happy, fulfilling life, I really highly recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp provides professional counseling to help you navigate these challenges. And it's not a crisis line or self-help. It is professional licensed therapy done securely online. They assess your needs and they match you with a licensed professional therapist that you can start communicating with in less than 24 hours. And, you know, I've had my own challenges with post-traumatic stress and anxiety. And I know it's hard to ask for help, but it's really important to know you're not alone. And I love how convenient BetterHelp services are. They're available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses. And you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions so you don't have to wait in crowded waiting rooms. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, too, which is so important to the process. So they make it easy and free to change a counselor if you want to. That You don't get that with regular health plans. And this is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. So please visit their website and read some testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user YO, who says, I've been working with Mary for a year so far, and I loved working with her. She's very professional and involved. She really tried her best to improve my self-esteem, setting up my goals, communicate better, etc., Thanks for everything, Mary. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You can join the over a million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, we are back with the second half of my interview with Ellie Honig, author of Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. If you didn't catch the first half of the interview, I strongly urge you to check that out. It's in yesterday's Daily Beans and then come back when you're done. 
Uh, Ellie, before the break, we were talking about conflict of interest and politicization. That brings me to the next section of your book, which is about Ukraine. And you begin with another wonderful personal story about how you took a shot to flip a witness and it worked. Yeah. Leading to the largest coordinated single day mafia takedown in U.S. history, which I didn't know about. And this is an incredible story. And you contrast that with Barr's unwillingness to investigate Trump's conduct with regard to Ukraine's. These dichotomies that you illustrate by sharing these personal anecdotes, your experience at the Southern District of New York with what Bill Barr does is just really incredible. And, you know, you and I recently talked about establishing criminal predication to open an investigation. Right. When the story broke about Barr investigating journalists and Democratic members of the House Intelligence Committee, seemingly with no predication whatsoever. But in the Ukraine case, with tons of evidence that would warrant an investigation, Barr simply, quote, looked the other way and did nothing at all. And you call that indefensible. Talk about that for a moment. You know, Ukraine is sort of the forgotten scandal of the Donald Trump era and of really, of Bill Barr's tenure. I mean, he was impeached for it, but of course, it was only the first of two impeachments. And Rudy may bring it back if Rudy <laughs> ends up getting himself impe- you know, I- indicted over this. But one of the things that's so galling about the Ukraine scandal is Bill Barr didn't even open a criminal investigation. He refused to, to even take a look at whether there was bribery or extortion or solicitation of foreign election aid. I mean, to me, these things are all right there to be had. Uh, you know, on the face of Donald Trump's conversation uh, with Vladimir Zelensky that got him impeached. But Bill Barr, forget about whether he's going to charge a case or not. I mean, those are complicated decisions. But refusing to even open an investigation is so indefensible. And I contrast that with the case I did where a very good FBI agent I was with, we had a mob driver, a guy who was a tough guy in the mob, who we wanted to try to flip. And we didn't have much, but we had a little nugget of information that showed that he was doing these sort of complicated break-ins to electronic stores like Apple stores, iPod stores. And so we sat down and we pieced together enough of a predication that we were able to go out and approach this guy. And we ended up flipping him and he ended up making wiretaps for us for months. And it it led to this enormous mafia takedown. But my point is, as a prosecutor, you have to take a shot, right? You're not going to make cases if you're just sitting back. Forget about any political motivations. If you're just sitting back, waiting for completed cases to fall in your lap, you're never going to make a case. But Bill Barr, I argue, obviously intentionally turned a blind eye towards Ukraine because he understood just how messy it would be. And to this day, it's one of the least understood and I think sort of most underrated failure. It's not just a failure of Bill Barr. It's not like he just omitted or forgot to do it. I mean, it takes some conscious finagling to reach a point where you say, no, 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 everybody, Don't open your files. Don't subpoena. Don't do anything. Nobody do anything. It was just outright suppression of what should have been a criminal investigation for political purposes. Yeah. And I remember talking to Andy McCabe when his book came out and he he was talking about the predication to open Crossfire Hurricane. And he said, we would have been derelict in our duty if we didn't investigate this. And that's sort of what I was thinking of. And, you know, speaking of Rudy, and I, I was curious as to what you thought when we learned that Barr's DOJ stopped those search warrants from happening, it wasn't until Merrick Garland got in and allowed them to go forward or the new evidence came to light and allowed them to go forward. But I, that was that was and it, this is about Ukraine itself. Uh, you know, yeah, that was um, I think some that was very telling. So the reporting I've seen is that that uh, it was Jeffrey Rosen's call um, and he decided, let's let's not make a call. Let's leave it for the next guys, which arguably Uh, was the right thing to do. I mean, look, they definitely slow played the Rudy investigation. This thing's been going on forever and the actual search warrants weren't approved until Merrick Garland uh, and folks took office. But, you know, there's an interesting dance and I talk about this going on between the SDNY and DOJ and it's a historical thing where the SDNY is famously independent. We take a lot of pride in it. I have a few colorful chapters about some of the ways we would break the rules and defy the main justice people, as we call them, the the attorney general and, and all that. And it goes back a ways. Uh, But I think there was a real dance going on here where there obviously needed to be a real investigation of Ukraine and Rudy and Barr, either the SDNY knew that Barr would would stomp it down or Barr and his people slow played it. And so they bought time. I mean, this is a recurring theme where Barr is dead wrong on the law. He's dead wrong on practice. But what he's able to do is drag his feet and make sure everything got dragged out past the November election. A lot of the legal battles over subpoenas and Congress and Mueller. He just dragged him out. He got he got his ass kicked in court eventually in all these cases, virtually all these cases. But he did the trick because he bought time for Donald Trump. So 
Um, you know, the SDNY had its moments of independence under Barr, but ultimately, of course, Barr infamously and under um, false pretenses got rid of the U.S. attorney for the SDNY about a year ago now, right down the stretch. And I, I write about that as well. Yeah. And it also sort of reminded me of how I feel like SDNY was kind of hanging on to that Stormy Daniels hush money individual one Cohen case. And then eventually a judge was like, look, shit or get off the pot. Right. And they ended up having to close that investigation. But that that doesn't mean that it can't be reopened. Um, I don't think you run afoul of any kind of double jeopardy if you've never been tried or convicted or charged. Now, we're going next into another major theme in your book, which is podium privilege and how Bill Barr just sort of stabbed his line prosecutors in the back over yeah. and over again, especially with Flynn and Stone. And, you know, I was thinking of that census case where all the lawyers had to get back onto a call on a Saturday and the judge right. was like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, we thought we were done, too, bro. We're super sorry. And like made him look <laughs> super bad, like shitty. That has to be really hard. And it's got to t- take a hit to, you know, your ability to be candid with the court. Talk a little bit about podium privilege. What is that? So podium privilege is the idea when you're a prosecutor that you're going to you're going to talk things out. You're going to have your chain of command. You're maybe going to get overruled. Um, You're going to work things out behind closed doors in the prosecutor's office. That's natural. But once you are approved, once you are standing at the podium in the well of the court and you have DOJ's position, you don't second guess that person. Right. Once a person has been authorized to take a position and they stand up and they take that position in court. You support that person. And Bill Barr completely destroyed that on the Michael Flynn case, on the Roger Stone case. In fact, here's a little stat. Seven different career federal prosecutors resigned off of four different cases in protest against Barr cutting their knees out from under them. And the most infamous examples, of course, are the Michael Flynn case, where way after the fact, after Flynn had pled guilty, Barr interceded and said, no, 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 we want to dismiss this case. And then the Roger Stone case, when he was tried, convicted, and when the, the prosecutors put in for a guideline sentence, Bill Barr came in and said, no, 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 we want less. We want less. Now, Bill Barr is such a BS artist. He tried to tell us, oh, that had nothing to do with politics. Those cases were just the ones that came across my desk. I mean, get the hell out of here. There's 80,000 cases a year in DOJ. The two that you happen to intervene in happen to be two of the president's flunkies, who, by the way, would have been in position to implicate him potentially if they flip. And what I object to is not the attorney general overruling other people in DOJ. That happens. I've been overruled by superiors. When I was a chief, I overruled people under me. You talk it through. The problem in those cases is beyond them obviously being politically driven, that those prosecutors had full approval within DOJ. They went through all the proper channels. They got their U.S. attorneys to sign off. Then they took their positions in court, in public. And then Bill Barr felt so strongly about protecting the political interests that he jumped in and said, no, 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 I reversed them. You don't do that in public. You don't do that kind of mm-hmm. dirty laundry in public, even putting aside the fact that it was overtly political. So Bill, uh, Bill Barr, this is another thing that Bill Barr would have understood or would have cared about if he ever tried a case, if he actually ever worked in a U.S. attorney's office. But because he's a political partisan and a prosecutorial charlatan, he never understood that. Yeah. And that sort of combines that whole podium privilege with, you know, the first idea in your book of having trial experience. It's, you know, it all it all sort of is subsumed in the same underlying currents uh, of absolute bullshittery. Yep. Now, I also before we go on a break here, I want to talk to you about your chapter on process crime, because Trump has this habit of downplaying shit. Right. He downplayed Russian interference. He downplayed covid. He downplayed the recent Trump organization indictments and the Weiselberg indictment saying it's nothing more than, you know, I didn't claim a Mercedes on a tax form. But how much damage did Trump do to the Justice Department and bar due to the Justice Department by downplaying crimes like lying, obstruction of justice and witness tampering. What what they what Trump sort of said, oh, these are just process crimes. Yeah, uh, I tell a story in there about a mafia witness, a victim, as he is um, terrified in the moments before we're trying to get him to take the stand. And the point I make there is, again, any real prosecutor knows that obstruction of justice, witness tampering, evidence tampering, they are the heart of our process. And anyone who interferes with them is playing with the very rules and the strictures of the game. And any real prosecutor takes those very seriously. But Donald Trump and his followers throughout his tenure would sort of derisively talk about process crimes, mere process crimes. I I quote them throughout. And Bill Barr really treated them as less than. And and later in his tenure, he started to sort of really sneer at process crimes. And, um, you know, that was one of the sort of justifications that they offered up for why he intervened in Flynn and Stone, right? Oh, just, just process crimes. And again, 
any real prosecutor hears that and goes, okay, this guy's a pretender. Because if you ever, I mean, obviously, if you're doing mob cases like I did, you would understand the importance of quote unquote process crimes. Um, but, you know, to Bill Barr, it was just, it was just an excuse really to soft play crimes against the president's uh, sycophants, the president's loyalists. So, um, you know, I really object to that sort of derisive or dismissive use of the phrase process crimes. Mm. Yeah. And, and I've, I've spoken to so many people about how important though, that those are at the heart of the, of, of the justice system. I yeah. mean, they really are. Yeah. I do have a couple uh, last questions for you. I do have to take a quick break. Uh, everybody will be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And this segment of The Beans is brought to you by Allform. You've been listening to the show for a while. I know you have. So you've heard me talk about my sleep issues and my former garbage mattress and how they were all solved by my Helix mattress. Helix customized it for the way I sleep, which was amazing. So now I get restful sleep. But even more amazing, Helix has gone beyond the bedroom now. They've launched a new company called Allform, and they're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. Allform makes the most beautiful high-quality furniture that fits your own personal style. It's fully customizable. Their sofas and chairs are designed to your specifications and delivered directly to you. And you get to customize your own luxury furniture using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. Because with Allform, you get to pick your fabric, which is spill, stain, and scratch resistant. You get to pick the color, the finish of the legs. You know, I've got those little pointy, thin, mid-century modern legs. You can do the sofa size, the shape, the configuration to make sure it fits in your room. So it's perfect for you and your home. I picked out a three-seater sofa. I customized it with whiskey-colored leather, which I could never have a leather couch with pod pets, but this is spill, stain, and scratch resistant. Plus, it has a forever warranty literally forever. So that is absolutely wonderful for me. And I got that walnut leg finish and a chaise at the end. Came in a couple days, put it together myself with no tools. I absolutely love it. You know, normally if you want to get a sofa from a custom shop, it takes weeks or months. So you have to have somebody put it together for you. But like I said, they just ship it by mail in three to seven days and you can put it together with no tools. And you can start small and add on later if your family grows or you get a different living room or you decide to rearrange your furniture. It's just, it's so, I don't know, it's versatile and beautiful. And anyway, like I said, you get to keep it for 100 days to decide if you love it, which you will. And if you don't love it, they'll, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And to find your perfect sofa, you just check out allform.com slash daily beans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders, 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash daily beans. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking to Ellie Honig and uh, his book is out, Hatchet Man, uh, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. And... Uh, going into the next part of this book, almost presciently, Ellie, you put chapters <laughs> on E. Jean Carroll and Lafayette Square back to back. Yeah. Because we've gotten some less than uh, happy, you know, news stories coming out of Merrick Garland's Department of Justice about these two stories. But you discuss Barr's handling or rather mishandling of these cases. I'd like to get your take on on what happened then and and what Garland is doing now. Yeah. So E. Jean Carroll was just utterly ridiculous by Bill Barr. And I think Merrick Garland uh, as well. So E. Jean Carroll, for people who may not remember, she came forward and accused Donald Trump of raping her in the 90s. Now, the accusation came much later in 2018 or 19, the public accusation, at least. And Donald Trump lashed out at her and said, she, she's a liar. And she's, and I quote, not my type, which is a ridiculous thing to say um, in defense of sexual assault allegations. And then E. Jean Carroll sued Donald Trump for defamation. And the question for DOJ at that point became, will we defend him? Because if you do something that's in the course of your official job, you're a prosecutor like I was or the president, then DOJ will defend you and the case basically automatically gets dismissed at that point. But if it's outside of your official jobs, they won't defend you. And by the way, Tellingly, Donald Trump did not ask for DOJ to come in until he was get, started getting his ass kicked in the state <laughs> about to order him to give a DNA sample. Remember, E. Jean Carroll said she had a DNA sample on the dress. And then he panics and goes to DOJ. And Bill Barr very quickly says, oh, yes, yes, we'll represent you because this is, you know, obviously this is part of your job as president to defame someone who's accused you of rape. I said it was a ridiculous decision by Barr at the time. A federal judge then agreed well, we came to the same conclusion. Um, Lewis Kaplan, a very smart federal judge who I appeared in front of, said no. He said, look, DOJ, of course you represent people when they're in their official capacities, but this has nothing to do with official capacity. I, even, even given that the president has a very broad definition of his job, um, then Merrick Garland took up the appeal of that, which I think was a, a big mistake, and I think an error in judgment. And I think Merrick Garland was trying to avoid rocking the boat and sort of undoing controversial things and thereby causing more controversy. But I think it was a real missed opportunity to say, hey, this is wrong. 
you're allowed to say that. The judge already said it's wrong. And B, I'm drawing a line here. We don't do business this same way that Bill Barr did business. And we're not going to represent the, the now former president for uh, defaming somebody who accused him of rape. So that case carries on. It'll go to the Court of Appeals. And um, I think it was a not only an error in judgment by Bill Barr, but a politically driven one. And I think it was an error in judgment by Merrick Garland as well. Yeah, if, I feel like decisions that were made in Barr's DOJ or Rosen's DOJ or Sessions DOJ, I feel like Garland is carrying on those decisions so as not to make the Justice Department look bad, uh, which I yeah. think is uh, the, I think is also the wrong the wrong way. And he did it with Lafayette Square Park and he's done it with the Bill Barr memo. And he's I mean, like, it's just it's like, "Mm, dude, you know, you don't have to keep. I think that those decisions give the Department of Justice a bigger black eye than making a change. Yeah. Going on here to the last part of the book here, uh, you have a whole big chapter on the 2020 election. And just this past week, Barr began his election rehabilitation tour. Uh, publicly denouncing the big lie again by rehashing the story of how Mitch McConnell reached out to him for help, blah, blah. Uh, Tell us about Barr's resignation and and why this latest attempt to polish his image is it's just disingenuous. I'm so happy that I have written this book when I saw that Bill Barr is out there trying to sanitize the record, trying to whitewash the record, trying to tell us all that he's a hero because he stood up to Donald Trump and said there's no evidence of election fraud. Did Bill Barr do that? Yes, he did. In December of 2020, I write about it in the book, three weeks after the election, after Bill Barr had spent months fanning the, the, the flames of the big lie, Bill Barr was one of the leading perpetrators of the big lie of election fraud. He was out there from his perch as attorney general. He went on NPR and he said, there's a huge risk of counterfeit ballots from overseas. There's nothing we can do to police it. He's such a liar that NPR had to write an article afterwards apologizing for allowing the attorney general to tell falsehoods on air. And they quoted actual experts who said that what Bill Barr was saying about election fraud was, quote, false, quote, preposterous, and quote, nuts. Mm. So start with that. Then he goes in front of Congress, repeats the same nonsense. He gets asked by a member of Congress, what's your proof of all this? And he says, nothing, but it's obvious. I have common sense. I mean, Mm. give me a break. I say in the book, imagine, I'm just thinking if I was in front of a judge and I made some major assertion and the judge said, what's your proof? I said, nothing, but it's obvious, Your Honor. I mean, I would have got my head torn off. Mm. And then he goes in, in with Wolf Blitzer in September, two months before the election, and he repeats it again. Oh, there's nothing we can do about this huge risk of ballot fraud and 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 Wolf says, well, how many cases have you charged? And, and Barr goes, we charged a case in Texas involving 1,700 fraudulent ballots. And I watched that and I thought, oh, that's okay. That's substantial. Turns out another lie. It wasn't we. It was state prosecutors in Texas. That can't be inadvertent. Nobody, no, no DOJ person calls any state prosecutor we. More importantly, the case did not involve 1,700 ballots. It involved one, one single fraudulent ballot. And then DOJ had to eat shit again and issue a, well, apology. And you know what their explanation was? Oh, some staffer messed up in a memo. Sorry. I mean, give me a, and by the way, I note throughout the book, all of Barr's mistakes, quote unquote, always, always go in favor of the president's narrative. They Mm -hmm. always go in favor of that, you know, (laughs) whatever BS he's slinging. So look, Bill Barr can get out there and do softball interviews with the Atlantic when they don't ask him about the obvious, um, you know, (laughs) the obvious stuff he was doing for six months. He's trying to whitewash his reputation. He's trying to distance himself from the Rudys and the Jenna Ellis's of the world. Truth be told, and let us not forget, Bill Barr is one of the main people responsible for the big lie. He bears some of the responsibility, significant responsibility for January 6th. He can come along now and say, oh, there was no fraud. I, you know, Some people say better late than never. My, my analogy is it's like if Bill Barr helped light the campfire with twigs and then fan the fire with paper plates and then watched it catch the cabin on fire. And then as the cabin burned down, walked over and took a leak on it and goes, Mm. Oh, look at me. I'm a hero. I'm taking a leak on the fire. Like it's (laughs) way too late and you've already helped start it. So I give you no credit and let's know the truth here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we've gone through the destruction bar wreaked on the department of justice. Let's talk about how we get it back. You know, now that we're four months into the Garland department of justice, 
we already talked about, you know, we think his decisions were bad on a couple of things. But overall, how do you think it's going and repairing the trust in the Justice Department? Where do we go from here? Well, there's more stability for sure. There's much more experience. Merrick Garland and his top brass have all tried cases and and have uh, significant experience in DOJ. You know, I lay out a bunch of policy prescriptions in the book. um, But really, I also say we need to get back to what I call the prosecutor's code, to those, the unwritten rules, the, the, the sense of being part of the bigger system, the sense of humility, that it's not about you, the sense that we don't politicize what we do in this Justice Department, the the sense that we tell the truth, that we don't fudge facts, we don't do favors for the White House. I will say, I've been critical of Garland on the E. Jean Carroll thing and a couple other things, but one thing that's so refreshing is there clearly is a very distinct wall of separation between Mm -hmm. the White House and DOJ. I mean, you know, Barr just, whatever Donald Trump tweeted, Barr would just jump to, and I give all sorts of examples of that in the book, here we have, in contrast to that, if you remember when Rudy's house and business got searched that day a few, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. the White House was ticked because the, that was the Biden was giving his big congressional speech and they were pissed because it took away the, you know, the um, attention, the media attention from that big speech. And I said, good, good. DOJ should not be calling over to the White House and saying, hey, guys, we're doing something kind of big today. Do you mind? And should we maybe do it tomorrow or we don't want to step on your feet? No, this is how it should be. DOJ should be entirely separate from the White House. And so Garland is doing a good job. That I think Garland was raised the right way at DOJ. I th- like I said, I think he's been overly cautious in not trying to upset the boat. I think there is some upsetting that needs to be done and some reversing that needs to be done. Um, but ultimately, I do have faith in the Justice Department. I think the, the women and men who work there, thousands upon thousands, are, are the finest public servants we have. And and, and they will carry on no matter what. So I do have faith that the Justice Department will, will be restored. But Barr has done long term damage as well. Yeah, definitely. Because now a lot of people are like, well, why isn't Biden telling uh, Garland what to do? You know, and you're like, no, no, right. just because. <laughs> no, that's what we're trying yeah, to I not mean, do. You know? That kind of thing is just anathema. And I tell stories in there about people I know, prosecutors I know who. Um, you know, I tell one story about a time I got a call when I was at the state from the governor's office, just some staffer asking me a sort of benign question about a case. And everybody involved said, no, 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 absolutely. Including Chris Christie, who was governor at the time, said, oh, no, 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 no. They're prosecutors. You leave them alone. So um, it, it, it's just so antithetical to everything that prosecutors are about to have any type. Of, and that's one of the policies I say. We need to have a formal, strict wall of separation between DOJ and the White House, and they lay out a bunch of others. So um, there is a road back, but uh, it's going to take a long time to undo the damage that Barr did. Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to be learning uh, over the next year or two or several years, uh, all of the things that Barr did. So are you going to do like a a Hatchet Man 2 corruption boogaloo? Are you... Well, I'll tell you this for sure. The guy has given me plenty of new material for our, for the paperback, right? You're supposed to update it. I mean, there have been like five times since this thing went to press like a month ago where I fr- frantically called HarperCollins, my publisher, and said, we, I have to add this. I'm sorry. Stop the press. <laughs> and they're like, we can't. It's over. So, um, yeah, I mean, the fact, you know, people have said to me, oh, you're, you're lucky. You know, book luck. You know, the bar keeps putting himself back in the news. I said, yeah, kind of. But when you tap into this vein of corruption like this, it's going to keep flowing. And I think we're going to yeah. keep learning about more and more abuses from this guy in the upcoming uh, months and years. Yeah. Now you know what it's like to be Mueller investigating obstruction of justice. Like, stop yeah. obstructing justice. I can't finish my investigation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Everybody, definitely, uh, if you haven't already, get Hatchet Man. It's Ellie Honig. And it's called uh, the, the subtitle, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. We will start the MSW Book Club deep dive into this chapter by chapter on July 18th. And I really appreciate your time today, uh, Ellie Honig. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Can't wait to talk to you about it at the end. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's Allison for The Beans. I used to get the most terrible headaches staring at screens all day. You know, I'm on my phone or looking at the TV or watching the news or looking at Pacer accounts all day. I'm in front of screens and, you know, I got LASIK. So I stopped wearing glasses a while back. So I didn't have the protection, that blue blocking protection. But I found Blue Blocks. They have a variety of amazing glasses designed specifically to solve these problems. Uh, I got the blue light computer glasses for headaches, sore eyes, digital eye strain, and watery eyes and fatigue because I suffered from all of those things with all the screen time I had. But they also have summer glow, 
They're blue light glasses. They have yellow lenses designed to help with migraine, stress, anxiety, and low mood. And they have, if you have trouble sleeping, Sleep Plus, you know I love sleep, blue light blocking glasses. These amber lenses help with poor sleep, fatigue, low energy, and jet lag. They're super easy to use. You wear the blue light computer glasses and the summer glow glasses during the day when working on screens or under artificial light. And you wear the Sleep Plus blue glasses two to three hours before bed to help generate more sleep hormones because those that blue those blue rays they stop the generation of sleep hormones and they make you restless at night. You know, I've tried other brands but nothing compares to Blue Blocks. First of all, they're science backed. Their technology is is tested to ensure they really work and they are super stylish. I they they've been featured the frames in QC and Vogue. I've got these blue tortoise shell ones. They're amazing. They might be a little more expensive than the other brands, but I guarantee you they're worth the extra investment. Uh, because the other brands just don't work and they don't look good. So I love these. They've helped me. And since wearing blue light computer glasses from Blue Blocks, I literally have no more digital eye strain or headaches. And it's it's incredible, the difference. I feel amazing. Blue Blocks glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options with glasses for every need. Again, blue light for helping with digital eye strain, summer glow for low mood and migraines, and sleep plus for improving your sleep. Blue Blocks also has amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, which are great, and red light therapy devices. And they have 100% blackout sleep masks, which are amazing. All backed by science. I love science. Blue Blocks ship worldwide in rapid time and always have easy returns and exchanges. So go to blueblocks.com slash dailybeans. Use coupon code dailybeans, all one word, to save 15%. That's blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash dailybeans. And use the coupon code dailybeans to save 15%. And today's show is brought to you by Truebill. I mean, how do you keep track of all of your subscriptions that you have. I I am subscribed to so many local newspapers and national newspapers and and I can't keep track of of all of them. And then I have a ton of other subscriptions too that you know your Apple you just generates automatic payments every month. But Truebill is the easy to use app. It's the smartest way to manage your finances. Um, they have a variety of tools to help customers improve their finances. Truebill lets you review your recurring charges all in one place and cancel subscriptions directly through the app so you don't have to do the whole rigmarole through the emails. 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. 80%. And they add up. And sometimes we don't notice the monthly deductions. Truebill makes it simple to create a monthly budget and expenses and track and evaluate savings goals and to get automated savings when you choose and how much to put away weekly. There's so many tools here other than just tracking your subscriptions. You can get push notifications when you're getting close to going over your budget. That's really helpful. And with Truebill, you can easily identify fraudulent activity. Truebill offers multiple ways to save money and allows you to work with many of the nation's top providers to negotiate and lower your bills, including AT&T, T-Mobile, and Spectrum. With bank-level security, Truebill helps you feel good about your finances and has saved its users more than $50 million. With over 1 million users, Read the rave reviews at Truebill.com. The average person saves $720 a year with Truebill. Get started today at Truebill.com slash beans. Take control of your finances and start saving at Truebill.com slash beans. Again, that's Truebill.com slash beans. And thanks to Truebill for sponsoring the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections, misheard song lyrics, shared swears, find the cat, pictures of your happy places, what the mutt, town twisters, limericks, anything, any new games you want to play. Louis Gohmert is dumb is a good one. We've gotten some good poems in there uh, about Louis Gohmert being dumb. Uh, You can send it all to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, Dana, I'll kick us off with a submission from Anonymous, no pronouns given. Because I love you all so much, I am paying a pet tax without any need for what the mutt or any story. Here's our Alfie, Alfred E. Newman. He's a Maltese, now 16, born on the 4th of July. A toddler shih tzu, rest in peace at age 18 and a half, on our meditation beach overlooking... Bench. Uh, <laughs> see, so this is this is a what the mutt, a, uh, and a town twister... And there's there's so much in here. Okay, uh, our our meditation and a happy place. Our meditation bench overlooking Kachamak Bay in Homer, Alaska. Alfie is every bit as absurd and goofy as he looks, although he is much less obnoxious now that he is pretty much deaf and blind and no longer charges moose and labs. Oh dear, <laughs> toddler was the gift of the universe, being sweet, loving, and wise enough to choose me as a human. Ooh, oh, they really are so cute. Oh, that. Toddler, the Shih Tzu. What a so baby. cute. 
Thank you Thank for you. this. Yes, indeed. Thank you for kicking us off. We have another one that's anonymous, pronouns he and him. I have a misheard lyric and would like to share a swear. As a child myself, I did have a misheard song lyric, which I put on my own spin on. I heard, I want to be three instead of break free. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be three. (laughs) I hear you, kiddo. I hear you. Assumed Freddie was singing about his wish to be older and changed it to, I want to be four. Since as a three-year-old... That was all I wanted. I want to be four. Uh, for sure, I swear, I suggest a common Glaswegian from Glasgow. Someone from Glasgow is a Glaswegian term. Jesus suffering fuck. It's a good one. And I agree <laughs> with you, Anonymous. One. It is a good one. Jesus suffering fuck. Jesus suffering fuck. Yeah. I like it. From Glasgow. Thank you. I was listening to the dildo story. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everything that starts out. We're with never going to, I don't know if we'll ever be able to, no pun intended, top that story. <laughs> this is, by the way, I forgot. This is anonymous, just so you know, pronouns, no pronouns. I was listening to the dildo story in a vacation episode of The Beans. It is hilarious. As It's as hilarious as it was last year. Can we make this an annual thing, please? <laughs> hey, if we can find some more dildos and chia heads, let's do it. Yeah, no, I can, I can replay the dildo story every 4th of July. It's, I mean, it's, you know, cleaning up litter is American. Double-ended dildos are American. Uh, is so, apple pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can get Kanai. Kanai, if you're listening, can we please always replay the dildo story on the 4th of July? I think it's a good American tradition. Next up from Karen, pronouns she and her. Try to pronounce these Michigan names like the locals. Okay, well, Buena Vista, but I'm assuming that's not how they say it. I was going to say for a local in Michigan, that's probably like... I, Bina Vida or something like they don't say an S. I have no idea. Buena Vista. There you go. Buena. I'm going to say Buena. Buena Vista. No, they wouldn't do Vista. Vista. Buena Vista. Charlotte. Um, like Charlotte's Web. I'm going to. I feel like think? we're being set up because these seem so obvious and they're not. I know. Think. Charlotte. I think. Yeah. That, I don't know how else you could possibly, but. Charlotte. Oh, you know what? Charlotte, Michigan. Charlotte, Michigan. I know that's not the right accent, but yeah, it I bet you be. it is Charlotte. That's really funny. Grand, uh, Grand Blanc was probably Grand Blank. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Mackinac. Mackinac Island. Mackinac. It's got to be Mackinac. Or this Ohio name, Rio Grande. It's got to be Rio Grande. Come on. There's a whole <laughs> movie named after it. Like, what? <laughs> This one is very upsetting to us. I don't know if you can all tell, but we're very upset that these names look very obviously what they should be. And they're what well, we're about to get the pronunciations and we're not. Watch. All right. So Buena Vista is actually, I said Buena Vista, but it's Buena Vista. Buena. Buena Vista. All right. Uh, Charlotte, I said Charlotte, but it's Charlotte. <laughs> Grand Blanc is, is Grand Blank. Okay. I got that one right. Yep. Mackinac Island. Nope. We said Mackinac. So it's yep. Mackinac. And. Oh, okay. It's not Rio Grande. It's Rio Grande. (laughs) Okay, Michigan. (laughs) All right, Michigan. We're taking you home. You're drunk. (laughs) Oh, Rio, Rio, dance (laughs) along the dusty land. Her name is Rio. Rio, and she's she's (laughs) Oh, Rio, Rio. Okay. For my pet tax, I submit my three fur kids. I thought that said something else. Fur kids. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because now I'm mispronouncing everything. Watching cat TV. This cat TV, Dana, in case you don't know, it's amazing. It's a it's it's you look out the door at the birds. The silver tabby in the cat tree is Nugget the gremlin. The two looking out the screen door are Pebbles the tortie and Maui the black sweetie. Favorite swears. Oh, for crying out sideways. And Jesus H. Mackinac Christ, or what would it be? Mackinac, Mackinac Christ, both in honor of my late father, lifelong youper, uh, except for his time in the Army Air Corps. Wonderful. Look, look, such beautiful cats. Thank you for that one. My brain feels fried just from just that one submission trying to do that. It's really hard. Everything we read from now on on, is going to be like, hey, uh, Dana, can you read the next (laughs) submission from Jean Eifer? Pronouns she here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god this one is from Jean Eifer mm-hmm. alright this is from Jennifer 
I had a dream that Mike Pence lived a Sisyphean afterlife as the VP candidate and VP to a never-ending series of corpulent, corrupt, greasy GOP dudes and never, ever became president. (laughs) That is hilarious. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Indeed, indeed. But you can shorten the dress and wear it later, Mike. There's only one left. I want you to take it, my friend. Okay. From Lulu, pronouns she and her. Dear Amazing Beans Queens. My good news this week is that for the first time since lockdown last year, I've been able to go back on tour to work. Oh, I'm a classical musician. So work has been very sparse this past year with all the restrictions and finally being able to work is the biggest joy. I had my second vaccine shot in May and I'm so grateful for it. I've been volunteering at my local vaccination center, Sentry, to help others get good center, to help (laughs) others get their shots too. And being part of the volunteer community has been amazing. That's so great, Lulu. My pod pet tax is my parents' cat, Albus. Great name. They adopted him just before the first lockdown when their old cat died. Albus was the last cat left in the shelter. He had been rescued uh, from a breeder and had some pretty severe abuse. His anxiety is very nervous and scared still. When they adopted him, his name was Cute Ass. (laughs) But my dad's a vicar and there's no way they could have a cat with that name in the vicarage. (laughs) But as the cat is pure white, he named him after Albus Dumbledore's beard. He's a Norwegian forest cat, and he's absolutely gorgeous. He sure is. Look at Albus. My oh. goodness. Hi, Puddin. Oh, my God. What a handsome man cat face. <laughs> I saw the craziest video, just to, to close this out, and I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but there's basically, it's a, probably a TikTok, and there's a, a young person sitting next to the gorilla cage in the zoo. And the gorilla's sitting there just completely looking through the glass. They're sitting together. She's on her iPhone and she's scrolling pictures. And if you watch the gorilla's hand, every single time the gorilla wants the picture to go, his hand lifts up and drops and she scrolls and it lifts up and drops and she scrolls. It's crazy. It's creepy. And I wouldn't be surprised if they just take back over. Like we might devolve back into gorillas because at this point it might be our best bet (laughs) at survival. Yeah, I was going to say... That's probably fine with me. I know. <laughs> do we still do we still get to do stage shows? Oh, absolutely. Rule? Yeah. Then I'm in, you know? Yeah, me too. I'm in. Well, thank you, everybody, for, for sending in those uh, submissions. Again, you can do that at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. And again, if you don't have pod pet tax, that's okay. You can pay your pod pet tax with a picture of an adoptable shelter animal. Just give us yes. the information and we will share the city and location and the photo and all that good stuff so that somebody will adopt those beautiful aminals. Let's see. I don't have anything else. I got invited to do another comedy show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> everyone hear that? Yeah. I gotta. I need new jokes. That's man. what you get for being funny. Oh my god! I know. I'm thinking about that too. Like, I don't want to talk about masks for half an hour, but do I just pick off where I left off? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, no, I think I need to get my old DVD from like 2004 and just like redo all those. No one remembers those. And not oh just be goodness. like, look at all my new, look at all my new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, definitely get out to Palm Springs. Hunters, Thursday night, seating at 6 p.m. It's uh, Dana and Ian Harvey, two very, very good friends of mine. And who's the third comic? I can't remember. Brad Lokley, who is one of oh. the funniest. If you do listen to my Out in Left Field podcast, I haven't done an episode in a long time, but. If you'd want to find out in left field, the episode with me and Brad Lokley is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. His laugh is the best thing in the world. Kanai, our one, our behind the scenes guy, by the way, also has an incredible laugh. So can uh, I, I know we just talked about this, but you should get the accolades. It's very good. Mm, yeah. And, and, you know, record it. We'll send it out to the, we'll send it out to patrons. It'll be a patron special. No, we can. Oh, it's so good. We can play it on the 4th of July with the dildo story. Perfect. <laughs> Why not? Uh, all right everybody until tomorrow please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been allison gill and i've been dana goldberg and them's the beans the daily beans is written and executive produced by allison gill with additional research and reporting by dana goldberg and amy carrero sound design and editing is by desiree mcfarlane with art and web design by joel reader with moxie design studios music for the daily beans is written and performed by they might be giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.